Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is the paranormal an integral part of life? What kind of journey do you have to take to lead you to that conclusion? What does such a concept do to science and religion? Welcome to the 966th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from the WOON AM and FM radio studios in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live and on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm not Ben, he's not here. But those far-reaching questions came from Ben's co-host, partner and paranormal and, and uh, partner in paranormal adventures, and dad, Paul Eno. If you'd like to be part of today's show, send your questions to Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com or join us from anywhere at area code 401-766-1240. Whitley Strieber needs no introduction, but we'll introduce him anyway. Whitley is the author of over 40 books, with several having become blockbuster movies, including The Wolfen, Communion, and Superstorm, which became The Day After Tomorrow. Some of the books have been eerily predictive. However, his 1985 close encounter changed his life and set him on a path to find out what the unexplained really means to all of us. And some of his more recent books rather brilliantly reflect this. His website, unknowncountry.com. Uh, Whitley was last on our show on February 26, 2012, on our CBS edition with experiencer Tom Reed. And I'm very happy to welcome him back today as a guest in his own right. Well, I'm happy to be here. Um, I haven't seen myself yet. Let's shed a little light on the subject. Okay. All right. So, well, welcome back anyway. So let's Thank begin you. with your uh, 1985 experience in order, order to give it some background. We hope to do a number of shows with you. You don't know that yet, but we, we're going to try and do that. And uh, what what the experience did to your life and uh, how it led to the book Communion. Well, it was a, a very unexpected intrusion into my life. I had no idea anything like that could happen to anyone. I had had experiences of this type as a child, apparently. I say apparently because I don't have to this day any, except maybe one really direct memory of that. But I explored that possibility later, writing a book about childhood experiences called The Secret School. In any case, uh, we went to bed the night after Christmas normally. Everything was absolutely normal. We were spending our uh, Christmas holidays in a little cabin we'd bought the previous March north of New York City in a reasonably isolated area. It wasn't like the middle of nowhere but uh, near a little town, and it was a very, very pleasant place. And we were really enjoying our Christmas. Our little boy was seven. We'd had a beautiful Christmas. Uh, the, the night after Christmas, we had a lovely dinner of leftovers, Christmas dinner leftovers. It was very nice. And we went on a walk. It was snowing softly. It was just a beautiful, quiet evening. <clears throat> and then we went um, went to bed about... Ten, I would guess. <coughs> Excuse me. Our little boy had gone to bed earlier, of course. And we, 
in the middle of the night, I heard noises and felt movement. And I opened my eyes, and I was completely flabbergasted by what I saw. I saw peering at me something with great big black eyes, and uh, there were these other little dark blue, sort of shadowy, troll-like figures running around. And it looked like I was in a tent. And I thought to myself, this can't be real. I, and I, I thought I must be having a nightmare, and I started to try to wake myself up and try to get my bed back around me again and, and my room and to wake up. And I could not wake up because I was awake. And there followed, uh, over the next X number of minutes, I don't know how long, <clears throat> a, quite a struggle on my part. And they had these entities uh, put a needle in the side of my head. They raped me with a machine, uh, which later become became a, an international source of humor. I think I'm the only rape victim ever to be laughed off the stage of the world for having been raped. But uh, that that's what happened. In any case, it, it was a terribly confused and frightening jumble. And the next morning, I woke up. I was back in bed, and I had uh, the feeling that something had gone wrong during the night but I asked my wife and she said well it was a quiet night as far as I know and I I was very disturbed and I uh, went to finally toward the end of the day I said to her I think maybe an owl got in here because I kept remembering these excuse me I kept remembering these big eyes and she said, no, that's not possible, and it, it wasn't. There was no hearth, no chimney, and uh, that we had a wood stove, but there's no way an owl could come down that chimney, and especially because the stove had been running. So we were at a loss. I was at, She wasn't at a loss. I was at a loss. And over the next few days, the strangest memories began to reassemble themselves. What I was experiencing, of course, didn't know it at the time, was traumatic amnesia. And as it faded, and it does fade in some cases, you know, this is the type of amnesia when someone's in a plane wreck or auto accident or some terrible catastrophe, they have no memory of it. And sometimes the memory will come back, and it, in, in this case it started to come back. And I couldn't understand the memory. I remember this at this point being taken out into the woods and sitting in the woods in this group of strange little people going up in the air. It was really bizarre. And I thought, my God, have I got a brain tumor or something else is wrong? It never, the idea of it being aliens has never even crossed my mind. Uh, so I went to the doctor and he said, and I described this, he says, you're telling me that you think you were taken aboard a flying saucer by little men. And I thought, what? And I, th I said, that's what it sounds like. 
He said, well, I think we should do some tests. I, think, I said, yes. Uh, my main concern now was a brain tumor, of course. And so we did an MRI scan. We did uh, a full physical workup. We did a neurological workup. We did uh, a personality profiling to determine whether or not I had any signs of of psychosis or something. All that emerged was that I was under a great deal of stress. That was it. And I was left thinking maybe I had been drugged. I still didn't get into the alien thing because it never occurred to me. Uh, and I, I thought it was maybe a crime. And so I contacted the New York State Criminal Investigation Division, but they said that after I described that, I, I didn't say the details. I'm not, I'm dumb, but I'm not stupid. So I didn't tell the cop the details. I just said that I felt I had been assaulted in some way. And they, he said, well, with nothing to go on, you have no idea who did it. And we can't begin an investigation. I can take the report and that's it. So then we went on, I went on down the road. I happened to, my brother had sent me a book for Christmas called Science and the UFOs. And I picked it up, not because of this, but because, you know, he'd sent me the book for Christmas and I wanted to tell him I'd read it at least. And even though it wasn't of any interest to me at all. And um, in that book, I saw the name of Bud Hopkins and also a description pretty much of what had happened to me. So I called Bud Hopkins, and I thought to myself, this is the most ridiculous thing I'm ever going to do in my life, but I'm going to do it anyway. And Anne was in favor of it. She said, yeah, let's find out what he thinks, because uh, something very weird is going on. We'd, had, we'd gone through a hell of a time during this whole period I thought I was going insane, and I tried to get her to divorce me because I fi figured I didn't want her to be saddled with a man who uh, was uh, uh, insane and couldn't couldn't. If I became a psychotic, I couldn't support her. Uh, but fortunately, then that didn't happen. And uh, then Hopkins introduced us to Dr. Donald Klein, who was a forensic hypnotist. Of the first order, he was the head of the New York State Department of Psychiatry. He was a major heavy hitter in that field. And I um, told him the story, and he said, well, I think you've been assaulted. I said, I think I have too. And he said, well, we're going to put you under hypnosis, and we're going to find out who did it, because I'm assuming that these images that you have in your mind have some evidence behind them. And, and I thought to myself, I am assuming the same thing. He could help people find things like license plate numbers of the cars, of cars that had hit, hit them. And he'd, he'd solved over 70 cases with forensic hypnosis. So even though the, the mantra is now, oh, hypnosis is no good, it was certainly good then, and it still is if it's done by a professional. Anyway, uh, when he hypnotized me, we both expected that I would see things that would give this whole game away. I did not. 
I came out of it having to face the fact that something real strange had happened to me. There we are. All right. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Bud Hopkins. That's a good transition into the next part of the conversation. With Now, uh, in 2003, uh, Bud and I spoke at the same conference in West Virginia, and, of course, it was a paranormal conference, and he uh, came down to uh, talk about um, alien abductions and, and crossover phenomena, that sort of thing. So we had a chance to sit down, and he showed me his album of marks on uh, people's bodies who had allegedly been abducted by aliens. And it, what struck me, uh, and I said, Bud, you know, th- th- these are some of the same marks I see in people who have been uh, tangling with poltergeists, you know, and of course, uh, as time went by, many cases, uh, which is why I'm involved in MUFON today on the ERT, their experience or resource team, is because people would report being abducted and then all of a sudden their dishes are flying around the room, you know, that sort of thing. So what did this do to your point of view on life and... Um, what other phenomena may have occurred after this in in the realm of uh, what we might call the paranormal? Well, another fairly big question. Yeah, Um, sorry about that. uh, No, that's okay. Uh, What happened, once I I realized that on some level it was real, Ann and I were going to meetings at Bud's, and Bud was convinced that this was aliens from another planet, and they were, he even went up to our roof on our house in uh, our apartment in Manhattan to see how practical it would have been for a flying saucer to land on the roof. And Anne was really not buying this. Anne was the smartest person I've ever known in my life. That's mm-hmm. that's Anne yeah. back there behind me. Right. <laughs> Rather your, back, your wife, yeah. Back there. And, uh, uh, she was she was very 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 seriously smart. Even I would probably say probably a genius. And uh, she she wasn't willing to let it go at that. And we found a book by Dr. Jacques Vallée called Passport to Magonia. Oh yeah. She found it, and or rather, what happened was Bud mentioned it as a book that was particularly silly. And she said, we're getting a copy right now. And um, we got the book and read it, and it became obvious from that book that there was something much more extraordinary going here on here, even then a visit from aliens from another planet. I'm not rejecting that, because that may be part of it. But if it is, then they live very differently from the way we do. To be specific, what we think of as the physical world and we're isolated in it, doesn't that, that sense of isolation doesn't exist for them. They move three, freely through many different levels of being. We talk about the veil between the worlds and the unknown country and the, or the undiscovered country of the dead and so forth. It is not undiscovered for them. Not at all. That's, and therefore, it's why, as Anne said, 
about six weeks after communion had been published, she was reading all the letters that came in. And Anne could read a novel in two days, a big novel. And she could read letters. She could read a thousand letters in two days also easily. And not only read them, but catalog them and absorb them. And her whole file, by the way, is been collected by Jeff Kripal in the Authors of the Impossible uh, collection at Rice University. So they're, they're still, they're beautifully cataloged now with all of her markings on them and everything. Anyway, uh, she came out of her office and she said, Whitley, this has something to do with what we call death. And that began my whole real search into what this is. Yeah, we, we, we mentioned that quote uh, in our show with uh, Joshua Cutchin last week. Uh, very, very apt and important. Um, so, okay, so I guess we get to some of the background here. So we can get into some details with some questions from listeners here. Uh, let me get this one. This is from uh, Phil, uh, and Phil uh, is in uh, Savannah, Georgia. He was... Uh, he's still a show reporter for us, but, and he was in the middle of the Litchfield, Connecticut Triangle area, but he's down south now. Uh, it says, in reference to the entity that visited, and perhaps you could fill us in on, on this uh, experience before you answer the question, Whitley. In reference to the entity that visited you in your hotel room that formed the basis of the key, another one of your books, and now that some time has passed, do you think that he was human, a time traveler of sorts? Where do you think he got his information? And maybe he could fill us in on, on what that event was first. Okay, well, first the book, The Key, is in, in uh, I'll tell you the story of The Key very briefly. I was in a hotel in 1998 in Toronto, the Delta Chelsea Hotel, room 2545 to be precise. <laughs> and uh, I was... Uh, uh, I have one of those horrible memories where you can't forget anything. You have to go back and erase it if you want to forget it. Hmm. So uh, anyway, uh, I haven't erased that on purpose. So I was there, and it was I was sleeping. I was in bed. Had, had been, it's a, I didn't know it at the time, but it would be the last author tour any publisher would ever send me on. And I... It, finished my dinner in the room and then went to bed and there was a knock on the door and I woke up and looked in I saw the room service tray was still there on the desk and I thought oh it's the room service waiter I forgot to put the tray out and I opened the door and a man came in he wasn't he was about uh, five six I would say five seven wearing a gray sweater and black trousers, as I recall. And he looked like an older man. And um, I thought, oh, my God, a fan. And now, by now, I had realized it was not like what I had thought, like 11, but 2 in the morning. And I thought, my God, what have I done? I've let a fan in my into my hotel room at 2 in the morning. And there can be no fan who comes to see you at two in the morning who's going to be good news. Mm. So, so I was pretty upset, and I, I just started to, to throw him out, and he began to talk. 
he stood against the window with the facing in and it turned into the most extraordinary conversation I've ever had in my life. And I, I, the morning I called Anne and I told her about it and I said to her, this was one of those experiences and I'm going to forget it or deny it ever happened and don't let me do that. She knew well what I was saying and she said, I will not let you do it. And for the next two years, she kept reminding me. I had taken notes during the conversation, these strange sort of scribbly notes. And uh, she said, would say, you've got to transcribe your notes from that conversation. Don't forget. And I said, oh, Annie, it was just a dream. She said, no, it wasn't. You do this. Because the mind rejects high strangeness. It, yes. it pushes it away. That's why most of us don't even remember the high strangeness in our lives. And what is he, that? Who was that man? Anne always said, Whitley, it's you from the future. But not, not this life, because I'm in the future of this life now. And believe me, I'm not the master of the key. Mm-hmm. But boy, that man had the best things to say about the life that I've ever heard to this day, ever. He was brilliant and had a beautiful take on life and the world. And I'm very glad I got the book out, uh, finally. And as to who he was, I don't know any more now than I did then. But I do think Anne was probably right that it has something to do with time. Okay. Well, we um, certainly agree. I'd like to get into, after our break, I'd like to get into um, some of the other experiences you've had and what uh, dots you may have connected. Because as uh, as you know, I've had um, some extremely bizarre experiences myself. And um, I always find that they never exist in isolation. So your 1985 experience might have been part of a pattern or whatever we, we can uh, talk about. It's it. my life now. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Mine too. We'll, we'll talk about how they communicate with me after the break. But before I do that, I'll show you these. We'll talk okay. about these. You notice these two radios? One of them is yeah. getting anybody a signal uh, and the other one isn't. We'll talk about all of that. Okay. Anyone who's not uh, watching the video stream, most people listen on audio. It looked like two walkie-talkies. No, they're they're little uh, little. They're not walkie-talkies. They're they can be used as walkie-talkies, but okay. they're full spectrum radios. Oh, right, we'll look forward to hearing about that. Uh, can we take our mid-show break a little early? Okay, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON twelve forty AM. 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our fascinating guest, Whitley Strieber, so stick with us. In commemoration of Christ Community Church of Blackstone's 200th anniversary, the church is pleased to present worship leader and contemporary Christian music artist Dave Pettigrew in concert this Sunday, October 2nd at 2 p.m. Dave and his band have opened and toured for Mercy Me, for King and Country, Jeremy Camp, Bid Daddy Weave, and many others. Dave shares his passion for performing in these words. Being on stage means more to me than 
just singing songs or providing an opportunity to lead people in worship. It's a longing to share with everyone the hope and healing we have through our relationship with God. Dave promises a high-energy keyboard and vocal performance where he'll feature a sampling of his celebrated original work that people of all ages will enjoy. Admission is a goodwill offering. So join us this Sunday, October 2nd at 2 p.m. at Christ Community Church of Blackstone, 31 Church Street in Blackstone for Dave Pettigrew, live in concert. Okay, so we're back. It's Behind the Paranormal on WOON, AM and FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And let's continue our conversation with the great Whitley Strieber. So, Whitley, uh, why don't we continue where we left off, and uh, how do you communicate, and what else has happened to you? Well, this has become my life, basically. I, After we realized that the experience had been real and had been with something unknown, we decided that as terrifying as it had been, that maybe we should try to create some, try to find out more, basically. And, and said, well, you know, if you go out in the woods at night, and go back to the spot where it happened, which I was fairly sure I knew what it, where it was. Um, maybe it'll be a sign to them that you're interested. And I said, okay, well, why don't you, you and I, we'll go down to the woods tonight at 11 or so, and, and we'll just sit down there. She said, well, not we. You're going to do it. <laughs> because they, they came for you, not me. Anyway, I don't want to leave our little boy in the house alone. And, <laughs> so I went and it was just unbelievably terrifying to go out there and it was like um I think it must have been like what it's like to go to your execution I could barely put one foot in front of the other I couldn't get to the spot that first night I just could walk to the uh, edge of the lawn and then the wood started I couldn't go in but I tried and I kept going and I kept, it, night after night I would go out there and then we started just staying in the cabin in the weekends and I was thinking, oh God, thank heavens I don't have to be there and try that every night because Annie was pretty insistent and she felt it like it would work and, and it did work actually. It worked well. They came back. They started to come back and they, the first, the experience I had of them returning was when my brother came up from Texas where I was born and he still lives and that was sort of showing him around. This is after communion. No, no, this, I'm sorry. Yeah, this was after communion. It was after communion was published that they had started to come back. And so it took a while. It took a couple of years of that walking in the woods. Pretty sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm right on the timeline because my brother uh, came up and he was, I was showing him around and I was lording it over him a little bit. He's my younger brother and, you know, brothers, if you, I don't know if you have a younger or an older brother, but brothers are known to be a bit competitive with each other, shall we say. And so, uh, we're walking down to the spot. I was going to show him the spot 
And I hear in my head this voice. It says, arrogance. I can do anything I wish to you. And I think, oh, Whitley, that's you talking to yourself. You're giving your bro a hard time. and you gotta, you got to slow down here. So then we get down to the circle, and what, what do we see? We see a huge UFO right there, right over the, right over our heads. And I think that voice, oh, oh, I'm in trouble now. And the next morning, I didn't know what would happen. The next morning, the bank called. And says, you have a number of checks here, Mr. Streeter, but you don't have an account with us. <laughs> and I said, what? I do. You know me. It's a small community, and I, the bank officer knew me personally. And I said, uh, you know I have. He said, did you cancel close it? I said, I didn't close it. Everything I have is in that account. You've got to find my money. And he called back at the end of the day and said, we still don't have any record of the account. And we're going to have to return all these checks. And I, I was horrified. I said, look, please look more because the, everything I have is gone. I've got 15 or $20 in my wallet and that's it. And it was a substantial amount of money. I was doing very well in those days. So I sweated it out, boy. And the next morning, about 10 o'clock, he calls and he says, Mr. Strieber, we found your account on a backup that is in our secure storage at Iron Mountain, in the, which was near our homes. And we've restored your account. It had been completely erased from the bank's record at a time when, you know, there was no internet and no one could do that. That was a lesson in humility. I've never forgotten it. Wow. And it was the first real indication that they were still in my life. And they are in it now. I am heavily involved with them. I've learned to work with them. Uh, I've written two books with them and I'm uh, the main one was A New World. I, I also wrote Afterlife Revolution because the Anne broke down the barrier between the living and the dead. And she, she created an organized way of communicating before she passed on. And I used that in writing The Afterlife Revolution. And uh, the New World, I literally would write with them. I, I had some friends with an isolated country house, which I've been going to since I was a baby. And I've met the visitors there many times. And they would come and we would write together, work together. Not not like face-to-face -face together like I might with another co-author or something. But they would be in the same room nearby. They never would come close to me. And we would work in the head together. Uh, so, and they, <laughs> there's just so much. I could talk for hours about what this life is like. It's been a wonderful, extremely challenging and difficult life. I will say that for it. 
Well, they are we definitely will. very much in my life, and I still have to tell you, I don't know what they are. I, I would never tell you that I think they're aliens or ghosts or, or fairy folk or anything. I just don't know. But they are there. Believe me. Well, th- this is a question we ask everyone. Uh, first of all, I ask it to myself all the time. How do, and you just answered it in a way. I mean, how do you know what you're dealing with is actually what it appears to be or what it claims to be? Uh, but you seem to have an open-minded um, acceptance of whatever comes your way, which is something that I try to have. Yeah. At the same time, being cautious because I've dealt with a lot of negative stuff over the years, as you know. Uh, you read my last book, and um, it, it's. Um, how do you how do you deal with that? Are you comfortable? I live with this, and believe me, I deal with loads of negative stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah. negative is a big part of this. And you, if you're not gonna, if you can't handle that, you get out of this kitchen because yeah. that, that's a big part of it. Yeah, and you yeah. you have to learn to use the you know it's in the dark that we that we gain knowledge, and in the light that we understand what we've gained. And you have to have a very, not a good guys versus bad guys approach, but you have to look at it in terms of polarities. And there is a denser level and a, and a lighter level. And, uh, you have to be as objective about it as you can. And it's really hard because some of the things, in fact, that happened happened to me just recently are, are hair-raising. They're terrifying. Um, i uh give you an example of when I meditate at night. I meditate at 11 and usually again at 3. And um, the reason I meditate at 3 is that after Annie passed on about six weeks later, someone began waking me up at 3. To meditate, to do the, to do this exercise called the sensing exercise, where you place your attention on your body and it opens your mind to outside forces and, or outside presences. So, uh, it became obvious after a while that it was Anne and we formed a new kind of relationship. It's a beautiful thing to have happen. And it's, it, it, I don't want to go into the details, but suffice to say, she had, she had created a, a way of knowing for certain that it was her before she died. Uh, okay. yeah. I, I don't know exactly what I was married to or who, but she was a wonderful, wonderful person. And beyond, over the years of our marriage, she made many, many breakthroughs. In, and then in 2004, she had, uh, she nearly died and had a near death experience. So she was like a shaman. I mean, she was, she, she knew the nature of living and dying better than I think anyone yeah. I've known. So. You should meet my wife. Uh, <laughs> it's the way. same. Uh, very similar. Yes, uh, incredible insights and things of this kind. Keeps my feet on the ground. Let's get to some questions from Peter in uh, Bogota, Colombia, our good friend and uh, occasional co-host. Uh, I understand you were close to Dr. Roger Lear, the pioneer of alien implant research. 
what happened to the implants he was studying after he passed away, and has anyone continued his research, and if so, what's going on? No one has continued his research. I do not know what happened to the implants after he passed away. They were in the keeping of his family, and I think I, I have no idea, and I'm not in communication with them, and I have never received any response to any efforts I've made to communicate with them. Okay. So that's the answer, sadly right. enough. Okay. Uh, now, we've kind of gotten into this a little bit, but I'll state the question number two. Uh, what is your very latest current understanding of the visitors, what they are, their purpose, and origin? I don't really think about what they are. It's not important to me. I think about, or their origin. None of that matters to me at all. What matters to me is my relationship with them. In other words, what can I gain from this relationship? Uh, I, 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 their, their purpose here, well, one thing is obvious. It's not to walk down the street. And it is not to shake our hands on the White House, President's hand on the White House lawn or something. Otherwise, it, things would be different. I am aware of the fact that there has been a lot of conflict uh, with them. The military has had periods of conflict when they have come into places like nuclear facilities where the military feels compelled to protect it, protect and there have been injuries to people. Uh, Dr. Um, Gary Nolan, who is a good friend now, has talked about this on my show on Dreamland and on the Internet. He, you can you can find out, find he's talked about brain damage. And um, Dr. Christopher Green, who I also know does not do much publicly, but he is very helpful privately to people like me, close encounter witnesses. Um, but I wouldn't say that any of them have any certainty about where the, the visitors are from, and I would caution anybody. You know, as soon as you go into these stories of, uh, it's the reptilians, and they're from here, and the greys, and they're from here, you're talking to yourself. We don't have proof of any of that. We do have people on the inside who believe those things, but they don't have any proof either. If you press them, it turns out they pulled that off the Internet themselves. We don't know what this is. We don't know. We have to live with that. Living with the fact that we don't know is the, is the critical thing. Trying to push past that in a conventional thinking way is just not going to work. I very much agreed. We uh, tend to uh, strain and sweat to explain things so that we can, among other things, uh, convince ourselves that we're in control of the world, which we are not. Uh, and uh, there's a third question from uh, Peter. Dr. Helmut Lammer wrote, wrote a book called Milabs, M-I-L-A-B-S, uh, contending that alien abductions could actually be secret human mind control experiments. What is, your, what is your opinion of that? Um, my opinion of that is that there there are there is a a very ultra high strangeness connection here where part of this phenomenon looks like our military 
It is not, I don't think. Uh, there is a, there is a, um, one of the strangest things that, that happens in the phenomenon is this apparent involvement with our military. Uh, the Cash Landrum instance is a perfect example. Uh, this was an incident that happened in Texas in the 19, oh, a long time ago, I think it was in the 1970s or 80s, where two women saw a flaming triangular object move slowly across the, the sky, surrounded by helicopters. And they received radiation burns. And they eventually tried to sue the government. And the case was basically thrown out when it turned out that the helicopters couldn't have been there. But they were, in fact, there. They were seen and they were there. Was the government hiding some kind of massive thing like uh, the breakaway civilization that that is talked about, that Richard Dolan talks about? Or was it um, was it something else? I think that we have to keep the question of the MyLabs open. We have to be very careful here not to close these questions. You know, something Anne said that I think is central to our, our whole journey with this material and all of it. I mean, all of the paranormal stuff and the UFO stuff, all of it is... The human species is too young to have beliefs. What we need are good questions. Hmm. We've got to form the right questions. And so far, we don't do that because we jump from one belief to another. So true. One of the uh, the issues that that is involved in in this, we've kind of been uh, circling this at some, you know, in our conversation is um, what is the nature of reality? Now, our scientific method is based entirely on scientific materialism. Everything is matter or energy, and you know everything circles around that. Do you think materialism is dead in our in modern thinking, or should it be? Well, that's a really fascinating question. Uh, I'm I've just finished reading, as it happens, a book by Bernardo Castrop, which is called. Uh, the idea of the world. And it's an argument for what is known as idealism, mm-hmm. that the world is not a, is not what it appears, that it is, in fact, essentially an idea, and that it has all of the indeterminacy of an idea, even though it appears to be physical. And that possibility is emerges out of quantum physics and is increasingly seeming to be true but if you say the world is definitely an idea then you come right back to the problem Anne was addressing when she said that the human species is too young to have beliefs there's no ground of truth and no firm ground there. And if you, if you do get into idealism as a reality, 
then it's going to be very hard to find firm ground because of the, the essential nature of of uh, of an idea. Uh, so we're really in a in a pickle that I can prove to you instantly in five minutes that you can't deter- be deter- be certain about anything. I can prove it very easily that quantum indeterminacy is part of everyday life. I can do it now if you want me to. Yeah, go, go ahead. The, the, the title of this show is The uh, Unknown Country. Okay, here, here we go. Let's go to The Unknown Country. We'll go to a farm. And on this farm, there's a farmer who has a herd of Holstein cows, black and white Holstein cows. And he f- fears that one of them is ill. So he isolates her. He puts her in a field that he can watch from his barn while he works and works around the barn. And she won't be near the other cows, so if she is sick, they won't get sick too. And in the field, it's a clear field open except for two features. There's a tree there, and there's a little hollow. And only if the cow wanders into the hollow will he not be able to see her. But he figures, you know, it's it's a small hollow, so I have nothing to worry about. If I don't see her, I'll know she's in the hollow. So she uh, he uh, is doing his work, and every once in a while he looks into the field, and the cow is there, and she's fine. So he's concluding, well, the cow actually is fine. And while he's working, however, the cow does wander into the hollow. And as it happens, a piece of black and white paper, a big piece of black and white paper blows into the field and gets caught under the tree. He looks into the field, sees the black and white paper, and thinks it's his cow and concludes that she's all right. He is right and wrong at the same time. He is right. His cow is all right. He is wrong. He did not see her. This is life. This is where we live. Very brilliantly and simply put, we um, often say that uh, in in reference to the concept of unknown country that uh, today's paranormal is tomorrow's science. We just don't know so much, and we hate that fact, at least in our, our Western mentality. Where do we go from here? Well, I think that someone like Kastrup would argue that we need a new t- kind of scientific method. Yes. Because if this world, if idealism is the tr- is, is, is more truly real than physicalism, then the scientific method we have is obviously limited and because of the fact that it requires a type of physical a, a physical foundation and repeatability that physical foundation may not be real and we may be generating our science our, our reality and then measuring it and by measuring it we are creating it and there has to be a larger there has to be larger scale thinking in science. We have to get beyond 
the, the, the idea that the scientific method cannot be applied to anything that doesn't have physical presence of some kind or physical measurability as we understand it now. We have to recognize that there are going to be ways of measuring that we have yet to understand and are yet to learn to use, but that without those ways of measuring, we're not going to be able to advance science into this realm of indeterminacy, which may actually be the all of the world. Well, a concept that is being widely discussed, not just here, but among many physicists and philosophers and scientists in general, and I think it's very exciting that that's even, even at least being considered. Now, take a moment now, Whitley, and tell us about your books, where people can find out more, your website, etc. Okay. Um, my website's unknowncountry.com. Uh, my books are all on Amazon. Communion, by the way, has been published in a new edition. Uh, it, there's also an audio book read by me, uh, the first full-length audio book of communion ever ever created and beautiful new hardcover soft cover and kindle editions uh, you may be able to get it in some bookstores but i doubt that the book trade is takes a dim view of this stuff generally so i don't mm. i don't try too hard there um and and my podcast is dreamland you can, by searching on Whitley Strieber, W. Strieber Dreamland on uh, YouTube, you can go to the YouTube video. It's weekly. It's been going since 1998, if you can believe it. Hmm. And uh, I inherited it from Art and Ramona Bell back in the old days. And we, um, it's also on uh, TuneIn Radio, on... Um, um, gosh, on uh, iTunes—I I mean, on uh, Apple Podcasts, it's on Spotify, and probably other places. I don't know about it's, yeah, it. Gets, a lot of it's them. a big show, and it gets around. So enjoy it every week. Very good. Now let's turn our last question around in our last few minutes here. Where do you go from here? I'm working on a book now called Them which is about the nature of the visitors as it is reflected in our own relationships with them. Um, not my relationship so much. I've written about that plenty in my life. But uh, the relationships that others have with them, it gets a, a, deeply an, a deep analysis of some of the letters that appeared in that Anne saved. And then it explores... Um, the um, military response, which has been very extensive and now over many, many years, many generations, and it explores it in a completely new way. Uh, and then it examines this issue of reality and what it is and ends with uh, a brief chapter on my recent experiences. Okay. Uh, we're almost out of time, but I did want to perhaps plant a seed for our next conversation. Uh, I think we need to think about what all this does to our relationship, our understanding of God, and our expression of that through religions, if people choose to express it that way. <clears throat> Maybe uh, just a pithy thought or two before we go. Okay. 
we have to be very careful. This is for this reason. This has been with us a long time, and we have interpreted it in many different ways, from the earliest times of the Babylonians and the Sumerians up until the present, when we interpret it either in a religious way as jinn or angels and demons or whatever religion you happen to be in, or in a secular way as aliens from another world. The bottom line is this. It's time to step back from all of that and look at it in you. Okay. Well, there we have it, folks. Whitley, thank you for a tremendous conversation. We'll be in touch off the air. And um, uh, where do we go to our announcements at this point? The Western Connecticut UFO Conference takes place this month with both virtual and in-person events sponsored by the Danbury Public Library. It'll begin on this show on our Sunday, October 16th edition with a very special guest, UFO legend Peter Robbins who will interact with the audience. On Saturday, October 22nd, there will be live and remote presentations at the library. We plan to present via Zoom our program on time storms, which thanks to the great British researcher Jenny Randalls, who coined the term. Uh, Look for us at the Para Expo 2023 from aboard the USS Salem at Quincy, Massachusetts, May 19th to 21st. We'll be among the speakers and we'll broadcast live from the ship on uh, Sunday, May 21st. I see our uh, our uh, tech guy's uh, blood pressure going up every time we mention these things. Anyway, uh, we, we look forward to a challenge, Paul. Indeed. Visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 1,000, oh, sorry, 1,100 hours of our regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WOON AM and FM. Also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. And you can download our show app. We have an app. doesn't do a lot, but it doesn't cost anything either. It's free at BehindTheParanormal.com. There's a link there. And browse our books along with those of our guest co-hosts at our show website, uh, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us. Our website also has a charity page, and we're going to be posting uh, <clears throat> one that we've really vetted for the uh, Florida hurricane victims. Uh, we have not done that yet, but we'll uh, within the next day or two. Our causes include Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, um, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, USACares.org, Helping Haiti's Orphans, that's my favorite, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, and Western Kentucky Tornado Relief Fund. So, uh, Dave, you want to share with us what's on our agenda for next week? Yes, well, sadly, there'll be no program tomorrow. It's the one weekend of the year when we don't have one. Right. Because the show will be preempted by the station's radio news department for coverage of the local Autumn Fest celebration, the largest planned event in our community each year. And uh, both Ben and Paul, I'm sure, will be helping out at the broadcast truck inside the park. So if you live in southeastern New England, want to meet them in person, stop by and see them at the truck right next to the sound booth in the park. 
We'll be back live on October 16th, as mentioned, with the annual simulcast with the Western Connecticut UFO Conference and special guest Peter Robbins. Okay, no time for the quote. We'll save it for next time. I'm Paul Eno, here with our great uh, station manager, Dave Richards. Yes, I'm not Ben Eno, but I'll substitute today. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal on the 16th. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of... 